Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Are you ready for a new week? Man, I am ready for a new week. And I'm really hoping this is a week that spring comes. It looks like this could be the week that uh, brings spring. I hope so. I don't know. Y'all know me. I'm tired of winter. I was tired of winter before winter started. But here we go. Hopefully, this week is going to be our turnaround. Man, I love you guys so much. This is Tim with Tim. It's 10 o'clock. My name is Tim Harris. And uh, we are going verse by verse through the Word of God. I am so glad you're with me. I can't say it enough. I love you. Uh, you make me work harder. You make me study harder. You make me come at you every single day with what I hope is a new word from the Lord, and uh, and you deserve it. Uh, I I think that you are um, really deserving uh, simply because of your sacrifices for the sake of the word and the fact that you are willing to join me day after day. So again, I just really want to see to it that uh, that I work hard for you, and I appreciate your faithfulness. Um, we are starting chapter six today, Mark chapter six, verses one to 29. This is really a, man, this is, I think it's an amazing passage. Uh, let's jump right in. Jesus leaves uh, the Galilean part where he had been ministering and heads to Nazareth, his hometown. Uh, obviously, this is the story that you've probably heard before or this kind of story in Jesus's ministry. He goes to the Sabbath to teach and of course they're amazed at him, but it's his hometown, right? Um, they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Now, if that's the first question they ask, you think, well, my goodness, they must have been really impressed and pleased. It's all his old grade school teachers and his you know, old soccer coach and all, all these folks are like, man, he's done so well. But no, that's not what they're saying. Uh, that's not what they're saying. Um, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and, and, and Joseph, Judas and Simon. His sisters live here among us. Uh, they're deeply offended and they refuse to believe in him. Yeah, what's that about? Well, uh, Jesus will quote, you know, uh, the, the proverb, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown, uh, among his relatives and in his own family. What is it about the hometown crowd, you know? Why can't Jesus be the hometown hero? Why can't his parents, you know, his brothers and sisters be proud of him? Um, well, there is this, uh, shall I call it a, a veil of ordinariness <laughs> that somehow always is associated with us around those who grew up with us, who, who knew us best. Um, the, the fact of the matter is uh, people tend to explain what they don't know in terms of what they know, and, uh, and there's no explanation for, for Jesus' uh, extraordinary authority, his, his wisdom. These people know him, right? And, and they know him as a, a, a trained you know, tradesman, a carpenter, they know he's never schooled as a rabbi, and so they, they, they don't have any category. They have no category in their thinking as to how this boy that grew up among them uh, in this ordinary place doing ordinary things could suddenly be so extraordinary, and for that reason, they, they, they scoff. They, they, they don't believe, you know? Um, it's so strange. Uh, again, uh, because of their unbelief, this is verse 5. Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them. Now, I, I sort of, I stopped at that. I've heard it before and I've thought about it before, but if you, um, I don't think Mark is saying that Jesus, you know, couldn't work any miracles because they didn't believe as if, you know, he's dependent upon their faith and if they don't have enough faith, then he can't do it. You know, I mean, Jesus can do anything Jesus wants to do no matter how people respond. It's, it's not like, you know, I, I didn't have an, enough, you know, people who believed in me, so I couldn't, you know. No, it's not about ability. Mark isn't making this as a statement of inability. Jesus couldn't. There's nothing Jesus can't do. 
Um, but in those circumstances, Jesus could not. In those circumstances, it's not inability. It's the way that miracles function in the absence of faith. I mean, read the Gospels. You know, for those who believe the miracles continue, you know, to, to strengthen and fortify the, the faith in who Jesus is. But, but miracles don't produce faith. They just don't. And nowhere, I mean, read the Gospel of John, you know, where all of these signs, Jesus creates and, and performs all these signs and wonders, but, but people continue to, to dwell in their unbelief. They, they, they don't respond in faith to, to, to signs. And it's the strangest thing, but the signs without faith, they just seem to um, harden hearts. Outside of faith, you see a sign and it just seems to, I don't know, uh, uh, solidify you in your guilt. You, you know, I'm just saying that the way miracles function throughout the gospels, throughout the ministry of Jesus, if people don't already have faith, the, the miracles don't seem to, to, to create new faith. People love to show that they're attracted to displays of power, but, but as I say, faith demands something else. It's typically not created in the context of, of just simply seeing uh, Jesus do something wondrous. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, so I think that's what Mark is saying. In those circumstances, Jesus could not, would not, for the simple reason that it would only harden them in their unbelief. Um, anyway, th that's what I'm thinking. I'm struck by the way that this uh, little uh, section uh, it's called an inclusio, where you have a, a, a word at the top and a word at the bottom that sort of shows you the section. In this case, the word is amazed. They heard him and many were amazed. And, and then at the end of the story, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. So just kind of see how that, that word brackets the section for Mark. Uh, people are amazed at him. He was amazed at their unbelief. Again, I, I just think that's fascinating. Uh, in verse 6, uh, 6b and, and on through about verse 13, uh, it's the sending out of the 12. Again, Mark calls them the 12 rather exclusively, but, but they were called early uh, and, and intended to be sent out. It's as if everything that happens between chapter 3 and chapter 6 here is leading toward this moment when the disciples themselves, the 12, uh, the 12 will be sent out to do what they've seen Jesus doing. And his instructions are recorded elsewhere, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. But still, it's just amazing. He sent them out two by two, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them not to take anything for the journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. You know, you don't get to take your credit card. You don't get to take, you know, a bag of trail mix in case there's not a place to stop. I mean, you know, they, they take nothing. They're going to be completely dependent upon the hospitality of strangers. And I think that's amazing. Um, wear sandals, but don't take a change of clothes. Uh, you don't even get to take like clean underwear. I mean, it's just really, really striking. Uh, in other words, this ain't no vacation, y'all. You know, this isn't about living in luxury. This is about doing the work of the kingdom. And you need to travel light because you don't need to be burdened down with a whole lot of stuff. You know, this is not that kind of trip. You know, and you are not uh, that, that kind of traveler here. The journey is much too important for anything other than the necessities, you know, anything other than the good news. That's the only thing you need to carry. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be you know, starving and homeless and destitute. That's the point. People will take them in. From town to town, people are going to take you in. And, and of course, that really is the nature of the ancient world. People are going to take them in. I like it when Jesus says, stay in the same house until you leave town. 
What's that about? Well, y'all know people, like I would end up in somebody's house and then all of a sudden I look across the street and, you know, like Bartholomew and Judas, you know, they got a house and they got a home theater or a pool and they got one more bed. And I'm like, hey, y'all don't mind. I'm going to slide across the street. I'm going to stay with the pool people over here. I'm going to stay with the, you know, there's going to be a barbecue over here. I'm going to go spend it, you know. No, you don't get to upgrade. You know, you honor the person who takes you in by staying at that house until you leave town. You know, you don't try to, you know, look around for a better offer. You know, I I just think that's just kind of amazing. But if any places refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. You know, as everybody's favorite theologian, Taylor Swift says, you got to shake it off. And literally, that's what Jesus is saying. Shake it off. Don't take it personally. If they reject you, if they don't let you in, shake that off. You know, shake it off. And just move on to the next place. I mean, like I said, we ain't got time for you to throw a pity party and pout and get mad and you know soap their windows and cuss at them from the yard. Just shake it off and go. You know, shake it off and go. That's a testimony against them. They're rejecting the message of the Son of God. You know, it's not you. Don't take it personally. Just shake it off and keep on going. And and their mission is successful. Now, interestingly. Uh, they're going to come, you know, continue with the ministry, the, the, the disciples' ministry uh, in verse 30. But we get this interlude in between about Herod and, importantly, the death of John the baptizer. What I find interesting here is it's another one of Mark's backstories. Remember the backstory of Legion, the demoniac, and here the whole backstory of the death of John the baptizer. I think it's interesting because we didn't get a whole lot of front story on John the baptizer. Remember that? Like we get like a couple of verses about John's ministry in chapter one, and I mean he was in the he was in the past, and but now again one of these stories where Mark slows down and slow walks you through the story of. John the baptizer's death. Again, I think it's interesting because it's sandwiched here in the story of the apostles' mission. You know, I I forget who it is that said that anybody who's going to follow Christ must become accustomed to the sight of their own blood. And it almost is here, Mark wants to, uh, in some way, foreshadow the deaths, foreshadow the the ultimate sacrifice that will be paid for for all of these apostles, all of these men who are following Jesus. You know, uh, they they better get used to the sight of their own blood. Uh, just ask John the baptizer. Herod sort of seems to I don't know. He's something about John that attracts him. He, he likes listening to him. The scripture says, but John the baptizer. He, he told it like it was, no matter who it was, and uh, he preached straight at Her- Her- Herod and his wife Herodias. Uh, if the names sound a little bit uh, you know, close, it's because they are. Um, Herodias was married to uh, Herod's brother. Is that correct? Uh, the first time I was thinking about this today, I, w- I was thinking, well, in the Old Testament, weren't you, uh, like if, you're, if, if, if your brother leaves a widow, weren't you obligated to try to give her a, a child, a son? Like, wasn't that part of it? And so is, is, you know, how is it so against Jewish law here that Herod's married to his you know, brother's wife? The point is, the brother's still alive, you know? In the Old Testament, you know, like, you should take in your brother's wife and try to help her have a son. That's, that was because, you know, he was dead. The dude was dead, you know? But now we're talking about just flat out, you know, adultery. We're talking about this man, his brother's alive, and he took his wife in. And so it is a, it's a blatant disregard for Jewish sensitivities, and that's part of Herod's, you know, that's his MO. He doesn't care. 
about Jewish sensitivities, even though he is here, you know, whatever, Tetrarch uh, ruling, you know, in this region of, of, of Galilee. I mean, I'm telling you, this dude uh, despises the Jews and takes every opportunity he can to, you know, to flout uh, their laws. Um, anyway, Herodias doesn't really have any power apart from her husband. Um, and so she seizes the moment when she gets it. Her daughter, Salome, and I don't think she's named Salome in the Gospel of Mark, but her name is traditionally Salome. Uh, she dances. Uh, it's nasty. I mean, you just think, what kind of princess is going to dance in the company of men? And the point is, this is how depraved Herod's court was. I mean, historically, we know this from Josephus and other historians. Man, this this dude is messed up. And yeah, having a young girl, a princess, even you know, dancing sexually in front of men—that's just that's just how they roll. And at the end of it, it's so fantastic. Apparently, Herod offers her anything, and this is Herodias's moment to go after John the Baptizer. She says, "Ask for his head," and 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 that's how John dies. Notice how again back to the beginning of of this little section, when John hears about Jesus, he's like, "Oh no, you know, that's John the Baptizer coming back to haunt me." You know, it's the way in which he still seems to have this uneasy conscience, the idea that he's thinking maybe John the Baptist, I mean, like Jesus is John the Baptizer come back to haunt him. You know, obviously his heart is not right. His heart is not at peace. And that is the, 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 the very nature of, of sin. I just find it a really fascinating section. And as I say, it sandwiches here uh, right up into verse 30 where the, the apostles come back. But, but meanwhile, John the baptizer has paid the ultimate price for telling the truth and for preparing the way for Jesus. He did it faithfully. I'm going to stop right there. We'll pick up here. I, I hate to do this to y'all. Uh, this is an important week for me. Once a year, early in the year, I like to devote an entire week simply to prayer. And I'm, I'm only explaining this to you just so you understand my heart as a pastor. Um, I am the shepherd of a, of a large number of people, and I feel it's very, very important that I pray for them. And this is that week. I'm going to devote this week to prayer. For that reason, I'm going to lay off a 10 with Tim for the rest of the week. Uh, I apologize. It's not my vacation. It's nothing like that. But I do need to focus on uh, prayers for my people. So uh, if you'll grant me that uh, leave, I'll come back next Monday and we'll do chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. Okay, next Monday, uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. If you'll send me a message uh, as I'm praying this week, I'll pray for you. Anything that's on your heart, any need, uh, whether you're a church member or not. But if you're a church member, I will be praying for you. Uh, I promise. But if there's a special need, uh, send me a message, let me know. I love you guys. I will see you a week from today, okay? Have a great week.